Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Georgia Mashup. I'm your host, George Loomis, and today we begin this bold new podcast. Now, what's the Mid-Georgia Mashup about? Well, first off, it's a podcast from the center, <laughs> the center of Georgia <laughs> dealing with all sorts of topics. We're going to be talking about current events. We're going to be talking about sports. We're going to be talking, well, sports, definitely. <laughs> I mean, you can't live in the state of Georgia and not talk about sports. We're the hub of the SEC and so many other sports networks. Um, we're going to be also talking about tech, which is, involves video games, involves technical advancements. Uh, we're going to be discussing or talking about um, up-and-coming projects, things that are going to be released. Um, we're also going to be talking about entertainment. So, we're going to be delving with a whole slew of topics, or as the program is aptly named, a mashup of, of topics. And I hope that you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoy working on it. So, what is this first episode going to entail? Well, first episode is going to entail something that is still fresh on my mind. Two things, actually. There's going to be the first section is going to focus on a movie review. The second section is going to be somewhat spoilery, but it's going to focus on the first two episodes released for the Disney Plus exclusive series, The Mandalorian. So, on to our movie review. So, today I'm going to review the film Midway. So, what is Midway about? Midway is a very... <laughs> it's an important World War II battle. It's a retelling of the 1976 film. With updated visuals and whatnot, and of course with the advent of CGI. So you are going to be seeing CGI in this film. There's a nice bit of it, but it does look a lot more crisp than the 1976 edition, even if you put the 1976 edition through an HD uh, washer. So this film... The Battle of Midway itself, it's crucial to the extent that Normandy was vital in the European theater. Except Midway was earlier, way earlier in the war. So, not even a year after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, there were multiple battles, of course, in between then. Of course, our loss to the Philippines as well. The Japanese Navy had not seen a major loss in most of their modern existence. Even with their brief conflict with the Russians and years earlier, they had not experienced defeat. They felt that they were <laughs> invincible, even against, even against us. We were underdogs. We were underdogs in this conflict. We had less ships than they did. Less aircraft carriers capable of moving, and even then we had to patch them up because of the conflicts that we got. The Yorktown, I know, had to be sent back to Pearl and patched up. So we had little fleet-wise at the time because they devastated quite a bit at Pearl Harbor. The great thing about this film is, uh, is that it shows both sides of the conflict. So it shows that Again, the Japanese were frustrated that they didn't hit our aircraft carriers. They thought that Pearl Harbor was a success, but they didn't hit our aircraft carriers, which would have which would have basically defeated 
it would have defeated us early on. It would have opened up the West Coast even, dare I say, for attack. But nonetheless, we had our three aircraft carriers left, what was left of our fleet, and carried on with the war. Now, this story, I've, I've looked at the reviews. I've looked at some of the reviews that people have left, some of the more professional critics. And by professional, I mean just <laughs> people that are paid for their opinion. But uh, I can't really find anything truly, I don't know, nothing that could truly pin the film down as something miscalculated or wrong well not well done in other words there's there's they keep pointing out this that and the other about the film but the film sticks to historical accuracy so in the reason why I didn't warn anybody about spoilers for this review is in due part because all you have to do is pick up a history textbook and you've got the spoiler for the film right there Literally, this film tries to stick with historical accuracy to the best of its capabilities. In due part because it's directed by a very famous director. If you've ever heard of The Patriot, this is the very same director. German director, believe it or not. German director. I, I don't know. I don't know why I find it, found it so funny that a German director was painting the Allies... In a positive light. In such a positive light, I should say. Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. Famous director who also directed The Patriot. Another somewhat historically accurate film, I would say. Based on two characters, or two fighters from the Revolutionary War period. He covers a story well. He more importantly covers the intents of some people within the Japanese Navy even. Some things that I didn't even know myself. Such as Admiral Yamamoto being a more moderate figure. Him not wanting to attack the United States. In due part because he'd studied over here. He knew of our capabilities. He knew our capacity to rebuild and just in general to build. So he knew that a war with us would be... Unwinnable. Unwinnable unless they struck fast and struck first. More importantly, wiped out anything and everything that we could use to turn against the Japanese. And he was right. He was right. The story of this film covers pilots on a naval aircraft carrier fighting in the Pacific against the Japanese. And these are real people too. So this isn't just, you know, based on the story of this is actually covering actual people who fought in this conflict. So in other words, it's not some made up character. It's like, oh, it sounds somewhat similar, but it's not the actual person. These are real people that are fighting in this conflict. Real people. The best part about this film all in all is its respect. It's respect to historical authenticity because I know nowadays nowadays it's more about deconstructionism. 
tearing down things because they're this or because they're that or rewriting history because we want history to sound this way instead of history actually being another way. There was no washing. There was no um, putting masking tape on anything. It was as it came, and it was wonderful. The audience score, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes right now, the audience score, last I checked, was 92%. I know that I'm one of the people that contributed to it because it was such a great film compared to the extremely harsh... (laughs) It's extremely harsh in my view. 43% rating given by these so-called professional critics. I mean, you rarely see, with the exception of The Mandalorian, which we're going to be getting to later into this podcast, you rarely see professional critics and the general audience ever agreeing on the authenticity or the all-around greatness of a film. There's just general disagreement amongst professional critics in the audience. But I think that the audience got it right. The professional critics, there were some people that gave it a chance. They were more moderate in their views, which I appreciate these people. But everybody else was trashing the film because it stayed historically accurate. And I've got to say, it turned out well. If this film doesn't show up in any award shows in due part because of its adherence to historical accuracy it just then just stop watching these shows just seriously just stop watching these shows i mean seriously it's <laughs> it, it it's it's getting to the point where it's not even it's not even recognizing movies or shows quality it's more about patting people within their own community on the back which isn't good but i hope that this film goes places that it goes farther than Anybody else expected it to. I mean, it beat out Charlie's Angels, the reincarnation of Charlie's Angels, which came out uh, just last weekend, which was surprising. At the same time, not all too surprising. But nonetheless, it's done fairly well for itself. And more importantly, the truthfulness of it. I mean, they had multiple veterans who had fought in the Battle of Midway watch this film, and it brought them back. It's incredible. The cinematography, more importantly, the style of the film, it shows the harshness of war. It shows the rigor of war and the effect that it has on these men and that it has had on these men. But it also shows yet another shining example of why the greatest generation is called the greatest generation. They were not handed this by historians. They earned it. And this is yet another display in why they earned this title. If I were to rate this film from a 0 to 100 right now, a 0 to 100, I would probably stick to a 90% score. I think a 90% score overall would be... I think it'd be the best option for it. I mean, obviously there's some room for improvement. I wish that they had uh, I wish that they had used more props. But that's just me. That's one thing that I can appreciate about um another series or another not series, this isn't a series. 
what I can appreciate about other projects, about sticking to realism. Kind of like how uh, Alien, for instance, I know it's a totally different film genre, but in Alien, when they first made the film, they used props. The Alien was an actual physical prop, so you had that sense of realism. But I wish that we had more of a sense of realism with this. Instead, you can somewhat tell where the CGI is and where it isn't. But otherwise, the rest of the film works well. I know that there are probably going to be some military personnel that are going to be searching through the film going, is your uniform straight? Is your uniform straight? Is your uniform right? Is it is it to code? Is it to snuff? <laughs> hey, it's it, it's going to happen. You know, pe- people are going to nitpick, just like how I nitpick about story and whatnot in films. And this film definitely had a great story. In due part, because it was history, and also in due part, if we had not won this battle, if our aircraft carriers were the ones that had been sunk, the Japanese would have attacked our coast, and World War II might have lasted a little bit longer than we had hoped. So a 90 out of 100 overall. I'd definitely recommend, not even if you're just a history buff, if you're looking for a good uplifting story, just a hard one victory, you'll find it in this, you'll find it in this, uh, in this movie. Coming up, we've got The Mandalorian. I know that the series hasn't exactly been on for too long now. It's only two episodes in, the third episode comes this weekend, but I really want to start talking about it because there's some cool stuff that People in general just haven't noticed about the series. We'll talk about that next. Hello everybody and welcome to the second half of the Mid-Georgia Mashup. Today we're going to be covering The Mandalorian. Now I know that the series has only been out for one week and only has two episodes, But you know what? There's a lot to unpack, just in two episodes alone. But first, we're going to touch on a few things. One, the critic reviews and audience scores are almost matching. You look on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Critics have rated it at 89%. Audience score, 94%. This is a rarity. This is a true and utter rarity to see this. We are in fine air, friends. To see such a series performing well. A series on an exclusive platform nonetheless. But hey, they did it well. Disney infused a Game of Thrones style budget into this series. I think it was like $25 million an episode. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a very small movie budget. But hey, it works. It works. It doesn't look like a B-rated sci-fi special. It doesn't look like utter garbage. The script, I mean, jeez, the script. The writing thus far is, it's incredible. I mean, you've got a few laughs here and there. You've got Jon Favreau, of course, working, uh, working with Star Wars and working on Star Wars. Jon Favreau, who also worked on and even starred in many Marvel films, most of them being Iron Man related or Spider-Man. But anyways, the writing is absolutely phenomenal. The cinematography, phenomenal. CGI, 
they've actually done it well. And the best part about it, okay, okay, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Spoilers, 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 make spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Okay, I've said it, spoilers. Okay, so I like the usage of puppets in the series. The fact that they're actually using live props instead of just relying on CGI all the time. Which I think is a negative thing, but Star Wars, one of the things that was so exceptional about it, even in a galaxy far, far away, is using actual props in the film. Not that it's exclusive to Star Wars, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Aliens. The Alien series by James Cameron. I mean, it's just, <laughs> they use actual props. That wasn't a CGI. They didn't have CGI back in the day. They used a humongous prop alien to slobber on Sigourney Weaver. I mean, this is, this is great. I mean, the direction that this series is going, it has great potential. I mean, they've already, <laughs> the reviews were good from the initial showing. So good that they've already renewed it for a second season. That's great. I mean, compare that to other series that are out right now. Like uh, Batwoman, who's trying, is literally struggling to try and maintain uh, her spot on that platform. I mean, it's, it's shrinking. But The Mandalorian, on the other hand, great reviews all around. Great story all around. More importantly, we don't know who this person is. I mean, the first episode draws you in. It's like this uh, smooth talker standing outside of a restaurant, but not really sleazy. He walks you around with his arm around your shoulder, and not in a menacing way either. More like um, you kind of knew him beforehand, but you walked away, and then you meet him again. It's like an old friend, okay? So it's like an old friend. It's an old friend that you've just met again, and he's walking you into the door, walking you through the door. And you look inside and you're like, wow. And you've been to this place before, but it's been so long since you've been in that place. And you enter in and it's like, wow, this is amazing. That's what the series is. <laughs> That's what the series already is, first episode. And then even going on to the second episode. So far, the only complaints about this in its entirety have been in due part... Just the shortness of the second episode. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, other than that, not much else has been created. No controversy, nothing like that. I mean, this series is floating along well. And the Mandalorian himself, I think, should prove to be an interesting character. Now, what we know for a fact is that this character is not Boba Fett, and Boba Fett is not going to appear in the series. Why is that? Because Boba Fett is gone. He is gone. Boba Fett is not in the series. Even though he bears Mandalorian armor, he died in the Sarlacc pit. He died in Return of the Jedi. He is no more, no mas, gone. So, enough talk about Boba Fett coming back. Another thing about this series that's also important to know is its possible implications to future films, which I'm hoping that they clarify maybe by the end of the series at this point in time we don't know we're just we're still along for the ride we're still along the ride in this space western now space western how does that work well first off you gotta have spurs and whenever the mandalorian walks around you could hear jingling every time even though he doesn't wear spurs 
it just creates this Western vibe. Like the space has become the wild, wild West, which it basically is. I mean, the Republic has just started flourishing. It's, it's starting to grow. The Empire is on its heels. The galaxy is on edge. And right now he's just doing his job, going through the midst of it. Not as an outlaw, but as a bounty hunter. So, not the law, but at the same time, not against the law. He's also trying to reclaim lost heritage. So, we don't know what's happened all too much to Mandalore. All we know that something bad has happened to Mandalore. We know that this is after the Clone Wars. Something bad happened during the Clone Wars to Mandalore. Actually, a lot bad happened to Mandalore during the Clone Wars. A whole lot of bad stuff happened. And if you want to know more about that, I would suggest re-watching the Clone Wars series. You'll get more information on what all has gone on and transpired, as well as Star Wars Rebels, which also adds on to what's happened to Mandalore. The weapons used against the Mandalorian people, and Mandalorians turning against Mandalorians, and just everything falling apart. Mandalorian for the Mandalorian people and their culture. So in due part, one of the things that this character is trying to reclaim is his people's honor, I think. He's trying to reforge his armor because it's a cultural icon in Mandalorian culture. They hold on to their armor for years. I mean, we're talking about some people that have had their armor passed down for 500 years. That's a long time to wear a piece of armor. I mean, just like pass it down from generation to generation, have it refitted and reforged, but still be Mandalorian armor. It's incredible. But he's just bounty hunting, doing his own thing, and is using, in due part, from one particular bounty, because this particular bounty that he gets after he turns in the first person, the first episode, awards him in... Beskar steel, from what I could guess could be an Imperial governor. This steel is used to reforge his armor. It's from Mandalore. And more importantly, it's used to create and craft their armor. But the Imperials, in their capacity to do evil, have simply just used it like gold or silver or copper and use it as currency. And as we could see from the final trailer from The Mandalorian, the last official one before the series went live, is he's he does eventually reforge his armor. We don't know where he gets all the Beskar steel from. We don't know how. The point is this, is that he does eventually reacquire that, and more importantly, reacquire his honor, maybe, possibly. We don't know. We don't know. We do not know for certain. All that we know is this, is that this guy's on a mission, and he's got a little baby Yoda. <laughs> That's what caught me off guard, was the little baby Yoda. I understand from what people have said that Yoda's species age differently, his people age differently, but this is, this is something interesting, something to follow, that and the force sensitivity that he has. It's incredible. It's, it's weird. It's bizarre. Some people are like, oh, I expected it. Which it's kind of expected. 
I mean, the only two people that we've seen of Yoda's kind were in the Jedi. Another topic of discussion is the doctor from... The doctor from the Imperial Governor's Office, which I guess he looks like an Imperial Governor. He looks like an Imperial Administrator of some kind who is taking control of that planet or that system using what remnants of the Imperial military he has left. And the doctor that comes bolting into the room, somebody on Reddit noticed this, was the patch on his arm. The patch on his arm is also seen somewhere else in the Star Wars universe, a.k.a. Kamino. So this guy's from Kamino. What relation does he have with the Kaminoans and their cloning processes? And, you know, what are they using their cloning facilities for now? That the clone army is no more. I mean, it's, it's been no more for years. So what does Kamino still have to do with the Empire? It raises some questions. You know, or even if this guy is from Kamino. We don't know. He could have just stolen that jacket. He could be somebody just trying to get a hold of, of little baby Yoda. We don't know. All we do know is this. I have spoken. <laughs> I have spoken. Oh my gosh, Nick Nolte's character. Uh, he, he's the Ugnaught. The Ugnaught that stays through in the first and second episode. I have to say he's one of my favorite characters of the series thus far. I mean, you think, oh, why not the main character? You know, no, 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 no. You if somebody makes a t-shirt of this guy, makes a t-shirt of this guy and puts it on Redbubble or Etsy or whatever, I will buy it. I will find it and I will buy it. I will hunt it down and I will buy it. Because this <laughs> this phrase is just stuck in my head. You know, I have spoken. It's kind of like, you know, let the force be with you, but a little bit more sassy. And I, I, I don't know if it's intentional more like, let the, let the force be with you, you know, let the force be with you, it's like saying peace be with you or whatever, but in this case, it's just, I have spoken, and it's sad to see that he didn't go along with the Mandalorian, but hey, I guess, I, I guess he comes in later in the series, or just never appears again, or is just an old hermit that was necessary to move the character forward, I don't know, I don't know. All I know is this, is that this series is turning out pretty well. More importantly, we've got people that are dropping reviews like uh, this article right here from Forbes. The Mandalorian already feels more like Star Wars than any of Disney sequels. Any of Disney sequels. Only two episodes in and The Mandalorian already feels more authentic than Star or feels more authentic, more Star Wars than any of Disney's film sequels. That is something right there. I tell you what, that is something right there. And, and you know what? There's no Jedi. There aren't any Jedi. There, there aren't any Jedi, there aren't any Sith. The series is making it work without an overpowered type character. Because let me tell you, the Mandalorian is not an overpowered character. He's far from it. Especially in the second episode... As he's trying to reclaim his ship parts, he climbs the Jawa's land cruiser. He 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 climbs it. I just thought of it as almost like a, it looks like an upside down shoe. It looks like an upside down shoe with treads. 
but he climbs to the top of this thing, and there's about, I don't know, about 10 Jawas standing there with shotguns. They all blast him, shocking him. He falls off the side of the shoe. I mean, the land cruiser, land, whatever you want to call it. He falls off the side of it, and <laughs> he, he didn't expect the numbers. He just expected, oh, the tiny little Jawas. Pfft, I could beat him. Like he vaporized them earlier. I mean, it was crazy. He was just, no mercy. He just, he just takes his shells, loads them into the rifle. Boom, there goes one Jawa. Boom, there goes another Jawa. Boom, there goes another Jawa. I'm just like, oh, oh, <laughs> what, 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 okay, okay. You obviously want your ship parts back. And he did eventually get them all back. But it was through some unexpected means. So he had to win the Jawa's favor instead of being just traditional Mandalorian, conjure my religion, Mandalorian. So he had to win their trust by stealing the egg from this ginormous beast. And this thing is crazy. It's big. It's woolly. It's a woolly rhinoceros. Yeah, woolly rhinoceros. Let's just call it that because it literally is a big fuzzy rhinoceros. And it comes charging at him. It beats the snot out of him. Like his armor gets all messed up. He's in a mud pit. He's getting flung around. It's crazy. He doesn't know how to beat it. He tries everything. He tries his flamethrower. One of his gauntlets gets damaged. I mean, this fight scene, I, I, I don't know if I could do it. In, I don't know if I could do it justice. You guys are going to have to, you guys are going to have to watch The Mandalorian. But, um... <laughs> This fight seems crazy, and then it gets to the point where he, he's just sitting right next to the baby, and he's just like, well, or Baby Yoda, because Baby Yoda went with him, which I don't know why Baby Yoda went with him, because this battle is going to be big, but he went with him anyways. But he holds his knife out in front of him like, this is it. This is going to be it. You know, This is all I could do right now. He's about to be defeated, and then Baby Yoda intervenes. He picks the thing up off the ground. I'm just like, what? What? What, what, what? Oh man, what a cliffhanger. What a cliffhanger to bring the episode down to a grinding halt. And everybody just, everybody's jaws just dropped at that moment. I bet I could feel it rippling through the fan base and through the viewership of jaws just, just falling to the ground. Because people didn't expect that to happen. But you know what? It did happen. And now. Now we know that he's capable of using the Force. So maybe the entirety of Yoda's people are capable of using the Force. Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe this might just be another speciality. Maybe it just might... Yoda might have just found a way of coming back. Maybe not. Again, there's a whole bunch of possibilities. A whole bunch of what-ifs floating around. But this series... Man, this series... You've got a whole bunch of big names involved. I know that I mentioned John Favreau earlier, but you got Taika Waititi. You've got, um, if you don't know who he is, he was the director for Thor Ragnarok. He's also been in a couple of other films. Uh, there's also, <clears throat> excuse me, there's also Dave Filoni. If you don't know who Dave Filoni is, Dave Filoni was one of the minds behind Avatar The Last Airbender. A great series that is loved by many people, if you've watched Nickelodeon, you have more than likely at one point in time seen Avatar The Last Airbender. And it was a great series. Guess who's behind it? Or one of the people behind it, Dave Filoni. Guess what he was also worked on in his past? 
He's also worked on Star Wars The Clone Wars, which is an excellent, just well-written series. Again, I'd recommend watching that as well. He's also written for Rebels, which, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed it. Although I kind of like the intrigue more with Clone Wars more than Rebels. I don't know. I don't know. But he's he's worked on those projects. I think he might have... He's worked on Resistance, which is based in the new Disney trilogy. I haven't seen that series in due part. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of... I'm just going to say I'm not the biggest fan of Disney's new films. But... Uh, He's worked on all of these projects, and they're getting George Lucas to help them as well. Something that's needed to be done for quite some time. Now, with all this being said, I would heavily recommend that you go watch The Mandalorian. Right now, as the series stands, I would probably give it a... I'd probably agree with the general audience. A 94 out of 100. There's obviously some room to grow, and more importantly, I wish, I hope, that the series, like the next episode, would be longer. Because that's one thing that I complained about about episode two, was that it was so short. I know that the pilot is as long as it is in order to bring out and flesh out the universe and draw people in, but I felt like the second episode was lacking, not in story, but in time. Although they completed everything that they wanted to in the time that they had, I felt like a little bit more time, I don't know. It could have added something else. I don't know. I don't know. They completed the episode. They completed both episodes thus far in such a fashion to the point where they got me hooked. They got so many people hooked. And let me tell you, they'll get you hooked too if you watch it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-Georgia Mashup. Hope to see you again. And as of right now, I'm still setting up a social media site. I'm setting up um, correspondence right now. As for an, a, a schedule of some kind for these episodes to be released, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But if you tune in right now, you should be able to see when... The podcast is next released, and I'll be releasing it sometime soon, hopefully. Hope you all enjoy today's episode, and have a good day.